They bought a dying industry and had just six employees. But Foxpro now employs thousands around the globe, describing itself as a proud cork company. How did it reach such dizzying heights? Coming up, a fascinating in-depth interview with one of its founders. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy. You know, it's it's 20, 95, it's 22 and a half years, 23 years at Christmas. It's been some journey. Yeah. Um, you don't want to stop a day. Well. That's Linda Kiley of Vox Pro. More from her in just a moment. But also coming up on this episode. It's probably too early to say, but we are starting to see it. Certainly in housing, where you see it in Dublin, uh, a new estate is launched and there's, there's queues and they're all sold within 30 minutes. That is very reflective of where we were. The new president of Cork Chamber, Bill O'Connell, asks, are we making the same mistakes all over again? And... You can't, you know, you can't stand still. Like, I don't know, was it working to, you know, only dead fish swim with the current. So you have to kind of keep moving. How one of Cork's oldest bookshops is using social media to fight back against online sales. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Combine all your lines of communication and simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. First up, though, this week, one of the big success stories of recent years. Voxpro is now a bigger employer in Ireland than Facebook. It's opened offices in far-flung places like San Francisco, California, Athens and Georgia, and most recently in the Philippines. But its founders, Dan and Linda Kiley, always consider Cork as Voxpro's home. I met up with Linda Kiley at her home and asked her about her journey. Go back to the very start for me, will you? How did you begin on the journey that led you to Voxbro? Well, Jonathan, it's great to see you. And I think to answer that question, I should probably have had a lobotomy or something. (laughs) Um, I started on a very kind of unusual journey. Um, I had my children before I did anything in life. So they were both at my 21st birthday party. And so I was about 23 before I started off, and I started off in the pub scene. Um, Doing what? I went in, my brother-in-law and his partner, and two other guys decided to open Paddy the Farmers, and they bought, it was actually called the Whiff and Puff, they bought a chain of pubs. I started going in in the mornings, and I ended up managing them. And I'd like you to know that that's where I got my philosophy degree, Everything I learnt in life, I learnt in the pubs. Right, listening to other people behind the bar, in front oh, of the bar, around the bar. Unbelievable. Two hospitals, hatches and dispatches in the Vic, and people escaping from the South Infirmary in their dressing gown. The doctors coming down with their pagers. When they got into the pub, they wouldn't work. They were thrilled. And I have to say that Tuesday was vasectomy day. <laughs> <laughs> so we used to draw lots for that. We always had the book open because... We knew that they couldn't sit down when they came back for the pint. <laughs> and afterwards then, you went from the pubs yeah. to newspapers, which was a pretty That's big right. jump as well. So how did that come about? Um, I was down in Goline having a great holiday and I got called to go on a Samco course. And Remind uh, us all now who Mother Samco course is. It was kind of, you know, one of those government uh, go back to work yeah. um, courses. And I met great people. Great friend to this day, Conal Creedon. There was a, a motley crew of us there. <laughs> um, we learned an awful lot from each other. And I was positioned in the examiner. 
and I end up as ended up as sales manager of the Cork scene, which was the first thirty-two page magazine, glossy that ever came out free with the newspaper. It was a social diary, effectively, social wasn't diary, it? Yeah. yeah, news, blues, uh, mostly. Um, it was a little the bit entertainment business were the only people actually that could afford to advertise in it, or the corporates like Bus Air and Erin Rodrail, you know. Little small traders, we used to do features combined with Guinness fashion. We were very innovative for yeah. our time. Uh, we worked day and night and we gave it out. 32,000 to print it. We had to go to Lie the Graphic to do the separations because at the time they didn't do them in the examiner. And th- this would have all been at a time when things weren't great. I mean, the, the economy was pretty down at this point, so get, getting advertising for your publication wouldn't have been very easy. Like, I often sat, you know, in the late Dominic O'Keefe's from 7 o'clock till 1 in the morning to get a page he promised me. And I can assure you, I never went home. Was like, it just persistence? Had to be. Yeah. Had to be. Yeah. There was no pub in Cork that we weren't in, no restaurant. Like, they were the spenders and fashion. Combined, you had to make it cheap enough for everybody. That was a thing of the time. Um, yeah. But I suppose the, the biggest event that would have happened during all of that wasn't necessarily the experience, but uh, encountering a, a, a certain Dan Kiley. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> I, met da- I met Dan in 1987. Uh, he came into the examiner office. A friend of mine came in for lunch and I said, this is my friend Nula. And he said, I'm going to marry her. And she said, shut up, you saucy pup. <laughs> and here we are 30 years later. It's been some journey. Uh, he's very driven. It's reversed, actually. You know, the way you start out being the driver. And yeah. Then um, he's the driver and I'm the gatekeeper. But he's very inspirational, very innovative. And is it hard, and we'll come to the business in a minute, is it hard working that closely with your husband? The wife is always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you'd admit it, of course. Yeah, so long as you know. It's fine, sure. You know, at the end of the day, like, Dan is the CEO. Very few people argue with the CEO, except for the wife. <laughs> but um, it works well. Uh, the time zones now are quite difficult. You know, we're in so many countries that it's very hard for us to be off at all. Um, You're following the sun. We are indeed. Yeah. We are indeed. Like, it's a great... Great story, you know, that we were able to keep going through, you know, me remortgaging my house and provide the jobs for Cork at a time that was crucial. Um, Retrospectively, like, it was passion that did it. You know, we bought a client list, not a paging company. That's exactly what we were buying. People thought we were mad. But um, we kept evolving and providing different solutions for different clients and we grew and grew. Let, let's talk about how the company came about because everybody t- looks to Vox Pro now and the success and yeah. uh, the fact that you're in all these different countries. But initially what you did was you took a punt Indeed. at a difficult time on a challenging business. T- tell us about that paging company and, and why you went there. Well, in 1995, um, I decided to remortgage my house and take a punt on the paging company. Dan was always already in situ there. We didn't buy the paging company. It was very hard to get the loan because, you know, mobile phones were the new 
thing. And we, we better explain to the younger audience what the paging company would have done. The, uh, effectively, everybody had a little thing on their pocket that buzzed and either gave them a, a verbal message or a text message. That's right. Yeah. Please call back Jonathan Healy ASAP. Yeah. You know, happy days when nobody could get you. It was great fun. You know, it was kind of a lifestyle, but paging was dying in Ireland, so we bought the client list. And that was actually like our strategy to convert the people on the paging because it was huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Like every doctor, emergency service, you name it, local plumber, uh, self-employed was on that page. But you, you, you remortgaged your house to buy did, a yes. dying industry. I did. Were you aware it was a dying industry? Well, failure was never an option. Like, we were going to convert the client list to SMS, and as we evolved into tech, I suppose fortune favours the brave. Like, you know, I couldn't afford to go down the tube. So we worked tirelessly, I have to say. Mm, and it was hard going. It was very hard. On more than one occasion, it nearly didn't come off. Ah. <laughs> Tell us about the, ne not the disasters, but the near disasters, Linda, and how they changed your business outlook. Well, like everybody else, you know, in the last recession, um, we were growing quite happily. And like everybody else, the banks withdrew their credit. And we had 600 people working for us. So you can imagine that. It was great fun. Um, we started with the 200k overdraft and it was removed overnight. Um, while all the people that stung them were out of the country. But um, we kind of managed, cashed everything. Yeah. Pension, everything. The kid's grandmother died and my daughter gave me the cheque. Um, how, how much was it weighing on your mind that you had all those employees who were looking for the check at the end of the week as well as Linda and Dan trying to keep the business going. You see, when you look out at all these fantastic people, like you just keep smiling and you know it's not one mouth you're feeding. It's their families, the lot, and um, they were more important than us, mm. for sure. You know, you can start restart any time, but you can't build something up like that and see it go down the tube, mm. you know, for a bit of credit facility. So you weren't the only ones who, who struggled during that no. time. Obviously, everybody had a, a little bit of it. But at, at what point did it turn then that you, you started seeing a little bit of light through the dark? I suppose the one thing that is our USP is like, you know, we anticipate the customer's customer needs all the time. That's our USP. So we're always looking down the track. So, you know, we have phenomenal innovation teams and you know, something else would appear and the client would like it or somebody would hear from us. Reference is huge when you're good at this. And so it went from one to another and people are really, you know, all of a sudden, the Google card was enormous. And you, you had that customer when you were in difficulty. It, yeah, and we yeah. had that customer when we were paging. Yeah. They thought we were phenomenal. You were a very early adapter to Google. Yes. And Google yeah. were an early adapter I, to I you. Mean, you wouldn't actually even, you know, remember there'd be so many people on the paging, but they thought we were a great provider. Yeah. So you, you started signing up new clients. Yes. And all of a sudden the company started to grow. Yeah. Were you surprised at how quickly it grew? On 
believable because I remember <laughs> we got a pilot from for six people from Google and <coughs> we were saying, Wow, like this is it. This is just it. And three weeks later there was thirty. And you know, no credit facility, so you can imagine setting up the thirty people, yeah. computers, the lot. Um we did it. We did it. Um I often wonder how, you know. But if you hadn't done it, and again, you mentioned, you said fortune favours the brave. If you hadn't done it. Yeah, yeah. If we hadn't done it, it would be Shinoil, I'd say, you know. um, I I, I always look around and when somebody says to me, God, you know, isn't it a great success story, Linda? And I kind of looking and say, are they looking at me? Because it's been such a tumultuous drive over the years that... um, which is wonderful that a lot of the time, Jonathan, you know, you're going so fast that you hardly have time to smell the coffee. When I think of Oxpro, it started a small company, got bigger, six people. And then all of a sudden we're hearing you're opening a Dublin office and then we hear California and then we hear about other places like Bucharest and and now the Philippines. Are Are you surprised at that pace that you've that because of the product and because of the drive that yourself and Dan have that that you're there I mean do you have to pinch yourself sometimes Dublin was obvious as well yeah. like we're a Cork based company and Cork would be the anchor we're maxed out now in Cork as you know there's no place absolutely nowhere for people to live um, California was really a huge driver our sales office is there so I can assure you Jonathan like you know when you win a contract from the, the west coast of the US, you've spent a good two to three years building that relationship up. They just don't hand it to you, mm-hmm. you know. So it's all over and back. They come over, you build the relationship and all good business, I think, comes out of honesty, relationship building and good customer care and trust, trust, trust. You, you mentioned that Cork is the anchor. You, you are an international company now. Yeah. Are you a Cork company that is international? Or are you an international company that's based in Cork? We're a Cork com- company that's international. Why? why very, very, what's the very proud. Um, I think like it's phenomenal, like to come from such a small city as Cork and provide, you know, this many jobs here. You, you mentioned that the fact we're maxed out here in Cork. And you mentioned the housing thing. And I know you've spoken about this before. Is it still as big a problem as when you raised it the last time? Is it getting worse? I mean, what's happening now if you're trying to hire in Cork at the moment and bring people in? It's worse. It's much worse. Like we put, um, you know, a lot of our multilingual people up in hotels and we have our own page you know, for people that are moving around for them to get accommodation. But it's getting worse and worse. Like Cork is a hub now of tech and multilingual customer care so it's only going to get worse i would think and is it disappointing that you know this has been highlighted this is potentially going to stall economic growth and yet we still don't see houses being built we still don't have concrete plans for maybe the docklands or somewhere where all those young people uh, and indeed anybody could live and we are in silicon docks you know that's where our building is there's an awful lot of activity up there now you know there's cranes everywhere um the cost of living in Dublin is very expensive as well. It's Cork, I can assure you. Um, the worry is now is that 
you know, the rental income going to become the the, the housing crash in the last recession mm. because they can ask really what they like. And is that going to prevent you maybe from getting the people you want? Certainly there's an awful lot of people abroad wanting to come home um, and there's nowhere for them to buy. You know, they've done their five, ten years outside. They'd be a great asset to the community and uh, they bring such skill sets. You, you've spoken before about the fact you had cancer. Um, at what point in this whole story did that happen? Uh, it happened in 2000. 2000. So Voxpro was up and running at that it stage? Was, it was, indeed. Yeah. Did it change your perspective? Well, Dan was inspirational, you know, in kind of saying, if you don't think you have it, you you won't but in reality that was kind of probably a bit naive I was very lucky to come through um, at the time the diagnosis was very harsh my brother's wife Helen uh, so there's only three adult women in the family also had it and we were both in together and she died it was appalling you know um, when, while you were undergoing treatment yeah yeah it was desperate we were on the same cycle and um, you know it's kind of fairly big learning, you know, mm. uh, a horrendous one. Like I'm very supportive of, you know, cancer charities. I'm supportive of all charities, but it's they're getting younger and younger, you know. And yeah, and the treatments are getting better, which is good. But you know, wh- wh- I I know they're not comparable. But there was that time when you didn't think the company was going to survive. Was there a time when you were there in the hospital bed thinking? Maybe Linda won't survive. Of course, you know. I remember <laughs> saying to a great my friend of mine, um, Martin Harvey, you know, am I sick enough to claim the serious illness? <laughs> he, I, I put a deposit on the building up in Patrick's Road and he said, you're probably <laughs> going to die. And I said, oh, shit, will be there anyway. <laughs> Where, where's next, Linda? Because you, you've, you've been on this roller coaster that in the last three years has brought you to the highest point uh, and you're constantly up and down, back to the States, up to Dublin and so on. Where does it go from here? I mean, you have this huge company now. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm quite relaxed now about it, I think. Um, for Dan, it's global domination, but <laughs> I'll have to leave him answer that himself. You know, it's, it's 20, 95, it's 22 and a half years, 23 years at Christmas. It's been some journey. Yeah. Um, you don't want to stop it, do you? Well, you know, it's 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 fantastic to see it um, grow. Um, it's one of our core values: learn, share, and grow. But um, you know, I have a fantastic uh, team that are very ambitious and. Mm. Be anxious to drive it. And, and the millennials, we were talking about millennials yeah. on another podcast as to whether they were any good or not. What's your experience of the millennial who, who, who has come through Voxpro? I think the millennials are absolutely fabulous. Now, what I do think is that they're much more spoiled than we'll ever have been. <laughs> and they nearly expect you to get the tea and not them. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But they have phenomenal skill sets. And, you know, I think after a couple, Probably the first six months, you know, the edges are gone and, you know, mummy has stopped driving them to work and, you know, providing the protein. 
things like that. They're, they're kind of grown out of it, are they? They're very spoiled, like at the start. And then, you know, I mean, my father worked in fours, but we never got to spin to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas these guys couldn't walk from one side village, of the street, yeah, up here, you know, because the bag is too heavy. Yeah, you know. But they're they're finding that they're learning. They're very yeah, they're they're, they're, they're very catching very on quickly. Yeah. Um, Lid, it's been fantastic talking to you. I have to mention because people might have heard at the start when they came in, you have two of the nicest dogs <laughs> that came in, and two of the finest smelling dogs. I think they're just back from the groomers, aren't they? They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. not normally this clean, are they? They're. they're no, never. <laughs> they swim in the uh, in the the river and they're up the woods every day. So um, you came a good day. You get, absolutely, you, did, you didn't need to clean the dogs for the for the podcast. But look, it, it, it's good that you did, Linda. We wish you continued success to yourself and Dan. And thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much, Jonathan. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Never miss an opportunity when you simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. Cork Chamber has a brand new president. After a two-year stint, Barry O'Connell has handed over the chain of office to Bill O'Connell. No relation. One of the former stalwarts out at Dell EMC. It's a very interesting time to take over in the chamber. Something that wasn't lost on Bill when I spoke with him recently. Cork is in a good place right now. Um, we have pretty much full employment. Um, you know, we've got a vibrant young workforce. Our universities continue to, to, to churn out highly skilled graduates every year. Um, you know, world-class tier one connectivity. Uh, if you look at things like Cork Airport, year on year last year was, it grew by 8%. Um, so, you know, all the metrics are pointing to a to very, very positive situation. But we're starting to see a couple of old familiar faces rearing their head. So we've got an overheated property market. We've got escalating uh, rents we, you know we've had the, we're having the public uh, service uh, pay deals renegotiated again um so you know to quote i think it's einstein is attributed this quote you know to to, to um continue to do the same things over and over again and expecting this uh, different result is the definition of insanity we cannot afford to have the same mistakes that we did 10 years ago that led us to the to the crash in, in 07 and 08. And do you think we're really at risk of making the same mistakes again? I, it's probably too early to say, but we are starting to see it. Certainly in housing, where you see it in Dublin, uh, a new estate is launched and there's, there's queues and they're all sold within 30 minutes. That is very reflective of where we were in 05, 06 and, and early 07. Um, and I think we have to stay competitive. I, you know, I came from a multinational background and we were always you know that was one of our mantra to stay as competitive as we possibly can you, you mentioned your background and obviously it's it's working with dell emc you put a long time in there is it a big change from what you've been doing for the last couple of years why take on this particular challenge bill <laughs> that's a good question um so i had 28 wonderful years at, at emc as you say now part of dell technologies um I mean, the, cha- the chamber, I originally went in there three years ago, Jonathan, to, to go serve on the board, just to give a little bit back to Cork. Uh, and then for some reason, Barry, our outgoing, our, our immediate past president, who, may I say, has just been a wonderful advocate for Cork for the last two years and is massive, massive shoes to fill. He approached me and asked me, would I become his successor? Uh, originally, I thought, is this for me? Um, and I you know, thought about it briefly, I guess. And uh, I decided I'd have to do it. I mean, if you look at the chamber, um, it's steeped in history, you know, 200 years old in two years' time. 
I knew that if I didn't take it, it was something I'd probably regret going forward. What kind of Cork do you think our kids are going to inherit off? Well, you know, that, that, that again, it goes back to the national planning framework. It, it, what you're trying to do is see into the future and say, OK, we know we need, you know, the, the uh, dunk cattle uh, interchange. We know we need the M20. We know we need, need the M28. But it's a bit more than that. I mean, we, we've, we try to be a bit visionary and say, what, you know, to your point, what kind of Cork do we see? And if you look at, you know, um, the, the Docklands in Dublin, what that came from, uh, and where it is today, it's, it's vibrant, it's, it's, it's really, really uh, buzzing. And we kind of have that same vision for Cork. So, you know, very simply, um, if we're, you know, you saw with the Port of Cork announcement where we're the, the, the first initial talks of, of high-rise uh, apartments, and that's probably what the young people of today want. They want to live in the city centre, possibly not drive to work if they possibly can. Uh, so we're, we're talking about a high-rise city, so building up and not out. And one of the other things we put forward was why not have the vision to have maybe an, 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 a one-hour train journey from Cork to Dublin? Because we always talk about Cork being in competition with Dublin. Well, you know what? If you had a one-hour train journey, then you could be just part of a Dublin expansion uh, or a suburb of Dublin, if, 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 if that's the case may be. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Teams work better when you simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. Um, how much is this? Three pounds. Ah. Mm, mm, Is there mm. something wrong with your head? <sighs> Are you wagging it to say, no, there's nothing wrong with my head, or is it just uncontrollable? Uh. Perhaps you'd like me to put the price down. Well, I was thinking two pounds. Because three pounds is just naked profiteering for a book <laughs> mere 912 pages long. What'll I do with that extra pound? I'll add an acre to the grounds. I'll chuck some more koi carp in my piano-shaped pond. No, I know. I'll build a wing on the National Gallery with my name on it. Two fifty. That's more like it. Hmm. Now you're being reasonable. Two fifty gets you this much. You can have the rest when you come back with the other 50p. But you... Thank you! From the Channel 4 series, Black Books. Thankfully, the staff at one of Cork's oldest bookshops, well, they're nothing like that. Liam Rochelle's is part of folklore for most of us. It's where we got our school books and our pack of 10 Ashling copies as we went back to school. Queues around the corner in late August and your mam wishing she'd come in earlier. To be fair, the store still has that same atmosphere that it always had. It's a haven for book lovers. But in a more challenging era for shops like that, Liam Rochelle's has been doing things a little differently and has been boxing well above its weight in terms of social media. I wanted to find out how they managed to do that, so I called into the shop on Oliver Plunkett Street and met with the man behind the tweets, William Gagan. I'm here since um, 1991. It's great. <laughs> I know, it, it's great. It, 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 it's not really hard work. Like It's not like I'm down a mine digging for coal, do you know what I mean? It's it's quite interesting, and if you have any half an interest at all in what in books or current affairs or any sort of thing in that that that, that line you know it, it, it's you know it's like it's, it's quite easy actually so you started in 91 but yeah. you would have been coming into this shop for years did you get well, the school every, books yeah, here of course yeah in the queues yeah around the corner I, yesterday we put up a, a picture on social media from i think it's around 72 or 73 it's black and white and the queue is just going around the corner if anybody wants to have a look at it, it's just just bring back memories of, you know, that that era. We don't get that anymore because the online has hit us 
and um, obviously more people are selling school books and stuff like that you know we don't sell online it, it's quite expensive to set up and we would have to designate one member of staff completely to that while the shop is being neglected and so tell us a little bit about how you feel as somebody who's worked in a bookshop who loves books how do you feel towards online do you do you feel you know a little aggrieved by what's happened in the well, industry you have to move forward you can't you know you can't stand still like i don't know was it why king said you know only dead fish swim at the current so you have to kind of keep moving there is a place for it but there's also a place for i reckon um more genuine book people want to have the book in their hand they want to buy first editions they want to buy how would you say rare and out of print books that sort of thing and and just the feel of a bookshop the smell of a bookshop the atmosphere the whole thing that that's what they want do people miss that tactile experience of going in physically picking up the book leafing through it thumbing through it and making the decision because some people probably grew up with the idea of online all the time you know that that there's a generation there that probably haven't gone into that sort of experience of a bookshop they just you know click on their phone click on their ipad go to the machine the computer pc whatever that that's their way of doing it you know that the, that's their culture that's 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 where they're brought up talk about social media because you guys have embraced that a lot here um why did you make that decision again was it the dead fish swimming with the currents thing that you know it was probably boredom really nothing else to do so we just uh, no it, it's just just we do just something we're good at i think we're good at it anyway we're, we're better than most at it that's you know that that's my opinion i think that um it goes back to the time that we put a, a beard on roy Keane's book as you can see you know that that went on all all over the place it went even on to sky news and stuff like that so after that then we just started to roll with it and we from twitter to facebook we we just seem to hit the right note it's cheap advertising if nothing else but it's free advertising yeah but it's creative we've we've been retweeted by graham norton we've been mentioned on all the radio stations around the place you know what i mean we've been on the echo examiner all because of what we do on thing nothing else and that spreads the message helps the shop stay alive presumably it does yeah makes it 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 gives us another sort of outlet really to to get to reach people you know to connect with people and just to say that we're there and this is what we do is it something that you think will still be here in 50 years time will there still be Liam or Shales will there be bookshops in 50 years time I think there will I don't know uh, 50 years is a long time but I would say there would be a Definitely. It would be a terrible world if there weren't any bookshops or any retail shops at all. Like, if there aren't any bookshops, there probably won't be any clothes shops. Do you know what I mean? That's our thing. If online takes over totally, it becomes this monster that, you know, people use and they don't actually walk or talk or use their minds or whatever, you know. And that's what reading is all about, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you just, the book survived the Kindle onslaught. Everyone thought Kindle yeah. was going to kill books. Yeah, why, why did books survive? I don't know. That I, again, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've never had one. I've never even had one in my hand, but I'm not too sure. It goes back to book lovers wanting first editions. If you download a book, right, that's it. If I buy a first edition of a book, I hang on to that book. And if, if, it, if that book is, a, say, a Harry Potter or something, I wish I had one, that could be selling for 40000 today. Do you know what I mean? Of the first edition. That will never happen with Kindle. It'll never be something like that you can give to your friend. I don't know, can you share it? Can, can you? I don't think so. So, like, you know, it, it, it's a different medium. It's a different sort of media, totally. So. When you go abroad or you go to other cities, you go to other towns, do you find yourself going into bookshops and comparing them with Lee Rochelle's? I do. 
unfortunately, yeah, sad. Yeah, I, I, I just drawn to it. Do you know what I mean? I just, I spent, I was, we were in Berwitz a couple of weeks ago and I was into a, a French bookshop and just looking around that sort of thing, you know, it, you, you, you find yourself drawn to it. I suppose you're a car dealer, you're going to look at cars in another place, that sort of thing, you know. And how did it hold up? <clears throat> I have to clue they're all in French. <laughs> <laughs> That's Red Business for this week. Thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to this very podcast on iTunes now. All very fancy. Please do. And you'll find out when the new one lands. New episodes go up every single Wednesday. I'll catch you on the next one. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Want to simplify how you work? Combine all your lines of communication with Vodafone One Net Business.